Hello universe and welcome back to Blacker Couch Reviews. I'm your host Christina. We're back for another fantastic episode of Foundation Season 2, number 8, The Last Empress, written by Liz Fang, Addie Manis, and Bob Ultra. I'm probably saying Ultra like Ultra, but I'm trying to say it like Ultra. And you fail. I'll let you decide how successful <laughs> I was at that attempt. Directed by Roxanne Dawson, another 10 out of 10 banger. I'm going to miss the show when it's gone. I think this is one of the better shows that have come out of this year thus far for me. And I am going to mourn when it dissipates from from my aura for possibly another three whole long years. (laughs) Although I think there was something mentioned that season three was already written and they work in Canada. So is that not associated with the current writer strike that's unfolding here in the U S of a, These are the factors that may impact how much longer I'll have to wait. Well, no, it was only two years. This came out in 2021. So yeah, I can wait two years, three years. It's like, come on, man. Even though we all waited for Avatar. But was it worth it? I think that's a question many of us are asking ourselves as there's a three and a four and I'm told a five still coming. You know, you put too much time between projects, even anticipated ones. You still may find yourself slightly disappointed because it better if you're going to wait that long, absolutely blow you away. What did blow me away was all of the machinations going on in said episode. Some very good character moments, too. I think that is one of the biggest complaints from season one is you felt disconnected from almost anyone besides Empire, even though it was really Day you were more intrigued with. (laughs) Demrazel. And then possibly Salvor. Even though I don't feel I was connected to Salvor as much in season one as I am in season two. So there were no emotional stakes for me. In this season, there's a lot of emotional stakes leading into our finale that has me worried about who I could possibly lose because I cannot have nice things. I know someone's got to go and I don't want anyone to go. And that is a testament to good character building versus last season. Hugo died and I was only sad Hugo died because I was like, oh, my one ship. (laughs) Now I got ships for days. Before we jump into the recap. I'm not going to go scene by scene, but we will be discussing the episode in its entirety by location. Go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review. 
my social media will be there as well. Like, share, subscribe. If you want to send feedback on the next episode, blackercouch at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment below. I want to start on Terminus, although events there were reactionary to the events that were occurring on Trantor, but it is where we find day at the end of this episode and where I feel the first true nail is falling in the proverbial coffin that is empire. There's the thousand years they're trying to shorten the darkness and then there's what causes the darkness. And I think what happens or transpires here is going to inform everything that goes forward, including the rise, the further rise of the foundation, who is at this point still relatively, even with the outpaced technology, a couple of planets on the outer reach. They're not that big of a deal. They aren't bringing or collecting the remnants of a decayed empire. No, that's still running strong, even though it has slowly began its decline over a long period of time, starting with said Starbridge, which was brought up, which makes everything poetically prophetic that a hundred years later on that anniversary were revisited by that tragedy, reminded of Day's response to it. And upon hearing his exact words, this episode, what may befall the foundation when he feels his back is up against a wall and he needs to prove his might. And the only way he knows how to do that is with violence. And Polly brings up a great line later on in the episode that does not at all register with him. Or does it? I'm not quite sure. (laughs) I don't know with this day. He's a little on the thick side of things. Not in that he's stupid, because there's a difference between uneducated and being egotistically or arrogantly feeling superior in your knowledge, in your education. So when I call him thick, I don't mean he can't possibly comprehend what exactly is unfolding before him. He's just responding in a superior way. That's going to be his downfall. The first decision being to broadcast the damn execution. On Terminus, everyone gathers, I guess, in the local pub. I don't know what this place is meant to be, the local canteen meant to portray. The mayor... Pater is there. They drink before tuning in to what no parent should ever have to tune into the execution of their daughter. However, once they realize Hober Mallow has declared war upon Empire, their response is to skip away like this is what they was waiting for. Hell yeah, now we got business. Never mind that Sir Mac and Pater are both concerned about Constant. 
which previously one would argue that war was what he lived, breathed, and would die for. But in the face of his daughter's possible demise, that becomes prevalent. No one else, though, is losing a daughter. (laughs) So they went off to celebrate. Of course, I'm exaggerating. They didn't quite celebrate, but they were not, they weren't worried. They weren't saying, oh man, it was like, yeah, they've been waiting to press this button for a while. And that's the part, not even psychohistory, that makes me feel as if the empire has bitten off more than he can chew, despite his statement, because you ain't got these people that have been for 138 years preparing for one thing (laughs) and one thing only very single-mindedly focused on what the fuck you're gonna roll up and present to us you don't think they haven't studied and accounted for and you think you just gonna steal up on them and say this shit's mine I don't even know what they were developing in the citadel that they was talking about that Polly didn't see. Once Constant and Hober escape certain death, well, her certain death, they jump near Terminus with Constant pointing out that the spirit was built for stealth and they can go undetected in the dark. We will, of course, discuss their escape once we get to Trantor. But in the aftermath of know death it's time to make some life create some life she doesn't want to do that by getting drunk first she wants to remember everything (laughs) so we should seize the moment you mean sex Beat it up, nigga, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Before they did get to that point, Constance says Polly kept the religion going and is the reason that she joined the church. She saw that Polly's faith was faltering and feels like she couldn't help him. And this is her believing that Polly possibly died and that's a good good uh, assumption to make you know they're just about to kill me now they probably really gonna kill him so he uh also you know points out that he wish he could have saved him as well and that he failed at his mission to be a a knife for harry selden he's like he must have not known i was more like a blunt instrument He recalls a parable about life collecting all the jewels, but the bag is empty because all the jewels were given away. And I was like, okay, let's get back to the sex. (laughs) I had so many jokes too. When she said, seize the moment, I was like, "Uh, you mean I wanted her to say penis? (laughs) Dick balls your man stick she said we need to stop showing up at each other's executions (laughs) as our dates and i don't like that continuous joke because that continues like i don't feel in my gut 
that constant is a hundred percent safe, but I feel that now that the moment has occurred of her being as close to death as one could expect without her dying. I never for one second thought that Hober Mallow may have possibly, I think maybe I did. And I just didn't fully finish the thought because I remember thinking, and I still have this thought process that Hober Mallow doesn't seem like the person that can lead the way in which I picture him in the books. So, um, I feel as if knowing what we know a little bit later on about Salvar providing that name, that he played the part he needed to play. But I kept thinking striking or pricking the empire side doesn't necessarily mean that he continued to be a thorn in his side. He may just go down as the first, the first one that showed that the empire can be touched as it was brought up this episode. So now, while I really didn't have any thoughts of Homer dying because I know his book version was extended further past well i guess we are in the second crisis i don't know i i i definitely certainly saw a different figure but there's nothing to say that he gets out of this and there's two babies created possibly in this episode that could turn out to be future wrenches in somebody's future Constant sex glow is interrupted when Bel Rio shows up saying that they shouldn't bother jumping. He has deactivated their drives due to whatever is in Hober's arms. My guess that's what how he tracked him down. Even though she did say we may not have been picked up by their gravitational. So it's possible that he wasn't tracked down. But I'm going to say simply that he was. I was wrong about that twist, but I still think it's on the table. Because <laughs> that's a, that you went through just a lot to help out Bel Rios in case this guy escaped. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I think that they're hedging their bets. Because why would she? I would say the. The communication set with the grainy, it almost looked like the chroma mixed with putty. That was, that was probably the weakest aspect of this episode. <laughs> it just, it's something not right about that. And he was trying to hide his penis with the bottle of wine that I am beginning to believe is not going to be consumed in a manner that will be satisfying. I'm hoping they both crack it open. I wish I wasn't so pessimistic, but I'm kind of starting to lean towards the empire. If he gets his hands on Hober Mallow, he's going to want, I mean, this is the person that really embarrassed him. Seraph embarrassed him behind closed doors. He embarrassed him in front of the entire galaxy. Part of me feels like Constant is going to give up her no drinking rule and be the one to consume that bottle. 
Her father is also consuming alcohol as he goes out to the vault because he asks his husband, do you think that she's alive? And he says that the prophet will take care of her. He, of course, isn't particularly convinced of the religion. So he goes out to the vault to pray. But honestly, he just wants to vent about the fate of his daughter. I love the line. She had more to give than her life. Surprisingly, via a gust of wind, they leave a lot of offerings at his temple. The prophet appears. And I thought this was something, I don't know, charming about... I mean, that's the wrong word to use, but responsible in a way (laughs) that many gods would not be, right? They don't want to hear about humanity's grievances when he has a master plan, but here he is taking a moment to hear out what this man has to say to him. And I like that they equated it to a prayer. He doesn't actually pray because he doesn't have faith, but he does have belief. He knows he's in there. He knows he could probably hear him. And so it's like, hey, what the fuck? (laughs) Why did my child have to die for your plan? And even if you don't owe me an explanation, what he does offer is comfort. Samak tells him people have given their lives for what he supposedly knows because his first question is, is my daughter okay? And he says, I don't know, but I did see the broadcast. And I'm like, what kind of cable services do you got up in there, sir, that you got to see the broadcast? I would love to know what those, uh, what those fees are for that type of intergalactical media uh broadband that you got going on in there he says i don't know and that's when he gave him that really great line that hey a lot of people think that you know everything he admits he didn't want his daughter to become one of selden's dupes as he calls them he wanted her to do what she did or any other job besides taking the robes but that's what she chose Harry's platitudes are met with anger because they were going to take her head for her faith in him. And while he seems to care about history, something that Talim accuses him of, something that Salver has brought up, something that Gail has been cautioned about, which is that the people are of no account to Harry Selden. But he counters that he cannot account for individuals or fates, but that does not mean that he does not see them. Psycho history is made of their stories, of their lives, and trillions of choices that all matter. Sermak will believe him if he tells him his daughter will live. And I think he appreciated that Selden didn't bullshit him here. He just points out, well, if that were the case, you too would be a man of the robes. So he goes back to science. So what do we do, doctor, as a man? Because that's who I'm approaching you as. What do we do? We do the hardest thing there is. We wait. 
I thought this was an amazing conversation because after what we know from Harry Seldon and what has been postulated the entire series is does Harry care about the people that he's moving around like chess pieces or is the math his only his only concern his only his only uh true focus without no empathy for the people that have to go through these crises and be navigated based on purely his word something only he understands and they to a certain extent he is getting to know these people and while he asks much of them he knows what they contribute to the math the history if you will matters just as much as the history in itself there is no history without the people I like that while the prophet doesn't have any real true value (laughs) for the kind of man that Sir Mac is the naked ambitious power hungry that may not be all of the traits he values in a human being but he knows it's the traits needed for the foundation and he sees beyond that to the man who simply is worried about his child and he relates to him on that level so it in my mind it disputes what Tellum is saying that even though these two people are split even though it's possible that this person is a little bit devoid of his humanity he still can connect to it even if it's just a copy version of himself and still stick to the plan the last tie-in we have is bel rios and glaywin glaywin is giddy on this ship he's not even trying to hide his glee at the empire having his ass handed to him by some upstart nobody are you not embarrassed this is really embarrassing and i think it leaves an impression on bel rio so it certainly is another another marker that he's tallying before he makes a true decision on who he wants to side with i think he wants to side with his emperor because he knows that's the best choice but that's because he thought there was no other choice and yet as he's watching along with his husband this planned execution of a girl and his his uh very nefarious joy in watching it occur in the most barbarous way possible his response which was my second favorite line of the episode fuck i fucking knew it was him before i even seen him keep in mind this is a person that is supposedly his enemy who did something that even his master or his emperor wouldn't or couldn't do, which was spare him emotional pain by not hurting the person that he loved. And so now he's in another situation where he tells Glaywin, well, there's your revolutionary. Uh, I bet you're glad that's not us. And Glaywin goes, I think you missed the whole point of that little spectacle is that the empire is not invincible. And now he has him 
and the woman that he loves on his ship. And he's going to have a decision to make. Because you know, you just know the empire is not going to make him suffer in a manner. He's probably going to do something that's going to PTSD the shit out of Bel Rios. <laughs> because we know that empire sensing that there's someone else he can harm as well as you will go that route. I'll be real curious to see how that interaction plays out because i don't doubt for five seconds that hubber mallow and day are going to come face to face let's detour across the galaxy to ignis retellum who loves standing on that beach looks into the distance before gail approaches her and asks where salver is and tell him, said, look, I'm on an accelerated timeline, so let's just put our cards on the table. Tell him it's tucked away. And that was a similar term in what movie? The, oh, The Haunting of Bly Manor. When they would possess someone at other's body, like a ghost, they would say they were tucked away. That's a familiar term that I recognized she tells her that Harry's dead but you already know that because you felt it when it was happening Gail confirms that she did indeed feel his drowning and his suffering but tell him doesn't answer why she's too busy being impressed with how she was able to ascertain that truth and keep it from her and Salvor proving how formidable she is then she circles back to well harry was cargo that you needed to drop off i thought you were able to do that for salver but apparently he's got a bigger hold on you in your heart than i would have wanted so you know i had to do the hard thing and kill him get the fuck out of here you basic ass domain looking motherfucker she was itching to kill him from the minute he got off that ship like, oh, you sighted? Hell no. We don't do you. We don't do you around here. Gail has been in a prison with mechanisms or what do they call them? Dishes above that can cancel out their psychic abilities. But even still, she has managed to keep Tellum from getting to something that Tellum wants her to reveal. To which Gail replies, it's mine guessing she's talking about the prime radiant but i don't think that gail knows that salvor nicked that shit josiah sees Tellum sick and runs away alarmed the everything must be connected thing i'm at a crossroads with because there is the idea floating around in the universe that josiah equals the mule because you know he's white he has blonde hair and blue eyes that's pretty much all there is to it he's a good candidate because he looks like it so that's where i met with the everything must be connected crossroads because you can't just slap shit together because it would fit <laughs> there would need to be a little bit more there now this episode 
there may be evidence to such a claim because up until now I'm throwing it out there that there was that's just something you threw at the wall to see if it would stick now that we know the full extent of Tellum's deception is it possible yes do I want it to happen not particularly I don't want Tellum to be the Darth Vader of it all or the (laughs) Star Wars reference I don't know that much about Star Wars what I'm playing I mean it was a while ago I watched the first three they were great the rest of them not so much but I don't feel that the mule and tell them need to be need to be interwoven and then how would I feel really about everything being a direct result of everything else but that's kind of the story that's where I'm at the crossroads with too so I don't know I guess maybe because the mule feels like a separate entity that needs to be that I would feel has a different set of goals and ideas than Tellum. Tellum seems like someone who was psychologically warped from the time that she was a child, continued to get more and more powerful as time went on. She's another, she's another uh, parallel for Empire who now seeks immortality dressed up as well I'm the one that knows I'm the one that can guide people through that is the arrogance of Cleon the first that he decided I will be the last of me I will continue on I am the only one that can hold this all together that's megalomaniac talk man even if it's true it's still megalomaniac talk and I still think that Tellum could be a perfect gateway to showcase or highlight the effectiveness of someone with this amount of power and then juxtapose it with someone that is more powerful than thee then find someone else that's going to be more powerful than she you know what I mean Because if Gil untrained is giving her a hard time, then it makes sense to me she can't possibly, I mean, she can grow in a hundred and however many years before they meet again. But I don't, like, even when I saw that interaction in the future, it doesn't seem as if these two have really fully, like, they're nemesis of each other but they haven't met in any capacity. And if you throw Josiah in there, it just seems as if it would be more of a personal conversation in said future versus the one of, are you from the time of empire? Ah, it just doesn't check for me that it would be tell him. And I don't need it to be. I just, I don't need it to be. I think it actually would be better if it's not. Josiah brings Salver something to eat. Salver immediately goes, is this what she gonna use to kill me with? We don't kill sighted. We only kill unsighted. (laughs) And I'm sorry, your friend Harry, who was insufficient, was killed. Not because I cared about him. He was insufficient, but I knew you liked him. To which Salver replies, he was brilliant. 
He was not insufficient. She wants to know where Gail is. He tells her that they are preparing her for the table in the palace because it's a special honor to which Salver does not agree. Turns out that Salver has the prime radiant after Josiah leaves in its unfolded form that she hid in her jacket. Oh my. She recalled Harry's words about the prophet being connected to the prime radiant. And since she needs a Harry, she seeks him out for help and escaping her situation. It's funny that the mother and daughter being secretive with each other allowed for them to both do things that are beneficial. (laughs) Because Gail is trying to do everything she can to keep the prime radiant's location secret. Whereas Salver's already nicked it. The question is, will Tellum get her hands on it due to it now being in a more accessible position in Salver's custody? Once she gets into the vault, Prophet is very much surprised to see her. He, of course, puts everything together without, because she's like, I don't know if I should. It's like, well, you took the Prime Radiant when you left and it works as a quantum portal. He realizes he isn't the only copy and that there is a second foundation, which is clever. And that the foundation is the control group because the right hand should be doing things that the left hand can't see. Followed by another favorite line of the episode, which is the realization of, fuck, I'm the left hand. Salver explains she and Gail are in trouble. Don't tell me anymore. It'll contaminate the math. I don't give a fuck about the math. Gail is in danger. He said, hold on now. I need more tea. I need to process this. You have dropped a lot of information in my lap. He is listening to all of it too. He shouldn't be listening. He even points out, I should not be hearing any of this. But it's been years, decades, millennia. He He's all about the gossip. She knows he wants to help, which is why he's still entertaining her. So he asks her to show him what she needs help with. Wait, he gets Salver to show him how to spy on the other side of the prism. And that feels like conflict of interest. He sees that the dishes are encephalic sensors. I'm not going to explain what that is because I'm sure he did a good enough job. He adjusts the frequency to not only access her powers, but to break the bricks, keeping her in her cage. She asks about the second crisis and he tells her things are up in the air. And then she mentions Hober Mallow. I had my money on Calais, but no, Salver was the ghost that whispered his name. He tells her she shouldn't have told him that. And she's like, fuck it. I'm an outlier. This is what we do. Plus, he doesn't have to do anything with that info, but of course he does, because how he does the math on it, if the left hand can't put his uh, scale on the thumb, then what is the point of having a thumb? And it's these events that led to Hober's Mallow being written on the vault via the desk in Harry Seldon's office. Confirmation also that there is a time discrepancy between the events that's happening on Ignis 
and the events that are happening on Terminus. Everything we've seen with Trantor and Terminus is happening further, well, actually, a little behind what is happening on Ignis, right? Because after that conversation, yeah, so whatever happened on what is happening on Ignis already has happened by the time Hober's name was put on the vault. So that's interesting. They did bring up that time works differently in the vault. And I'm wondering how differently may have past, present and future. Can he be everywhere all at once? Sauber is able to burst out of her cell while Gail wakes up on the ceremonial table to be told the full extent of what Telem intends, which is to take possession of her body, something she's done for for some time, it would seem, to maintain her mortality. She was once a little girl. She really was worshipped, but she was kept isolated in a glass dome in a tree until one day she realized she was old. She didn't live a life, so she continued to live lives through different bodies and then once that and then take their powers as well which also boosted her powers i can see again with all of that build up why one would assume that telling would be the never-ending foe behind it all so there's not not evidence to at least support the theory when Gail counters this, because she's like, um, I planted it in your mind to leave Synax. Gail's like, I saw the Abraxas. And then he, she brushes it aside and says that all the pieces are where they're supposed to be. So is this saying Tellum is full of her own shit? Because I don't believe that either. Like, uh, no, I believe that Harry <laughs> may have <laughs> maneuvered things. To get the best candidate he possibly can to solve Abraxas, which would be the best candidate that is going to be the one to lead Terminus. But I don't think that Gail was incepted by Tellum to come to this planet. It feels like a story she's she's concocting in a PR stunt about how Gail made her way here. It's not It's not due to this cycle history using math. It's due to me sending out a message that brought you here to save your people. Yeah, it feels like she's constructing a falsehood and a, a reason excuse to continue her cycle of... Her cycle of true... Um, egotistical desire to be in full control she never had control in her life and now she has control and now she will maintain it uh no matter what the cost is and whatever and then she'll just justify it to herself if you listen to yourself you're admitting to taking the lives of children and then burying their their consciousness until it no longer exists and then your only bit of empathy is I still listen for you to see if you're still if they're still there. But no, you you still what other people's lives would have been for your own personal desire 
to continue to live. That's selfish. It's a selfish desire. It's not altruistic at all. Gail begs for her disciples to help. Tell them disciples, but she has gotten them to do a certain pitch that is stronger than any defenses that Gail can muster. So she lays down. And I'm sure that Tellum is probably going to possess her body temporarily. Because I think that that would be exciting to see. (laughs) And they left the nugget out there of, oh, what will happen to me? Well, you'll be there. You could be there for years, but we certainly know that once Tellum takes over Gail's body, there's a chance that Gail can reclaim her own person and eradicate Tellum in the process. How Kaylee is going to meet back up with them, I have no idea. Is it possible Kaylee is going to help her reclaim her body? Could Kaylee come and help? Harry out of his situation because he ain't dead he's just resting his eyes he died because he needed to realize he had something worth living for now he's gonna come back with purpose last but not least let's discuss Trantor and all of the juicy goods going on here I did like the sound design of the scene Rue is snooping around in Grand Madame Demerzel's rooms carrying what was called a shadow master silencer there were two lines in this scene that debunks something bald move has been stating the last couple of episodes I haven't listened to their most recent one which I hope they read my theory because I got a theory I will share it shortly bald move has been discussing cct V footage and how this palace must have a whole bunch of cameras. And while it's a pretty rational idea, I think there are a few things in the show canon that that make that less of a possibility. The first being the memory audits, right? Why do I need to (laughs) watch camera footage to find this, that and the other thing or pay someone or not pay, but you know what I mean, have guards watch everything that happens in the palace when I can simply do a memory audit, which is much more sufficient. And you won't even know that I've taken anything from said memory. We have far more sophisticated technology than just cameras. Secondly, it opens the empire up to other people getting that information, seeing something they shouldn't see and using it as leverage. But then that takes me back to point A, the memory audits. They memory audit everyone before they leave the palace every day. And simply put, once you've relied on something and it's proven reliable over an extensive period of time, you stop checking every little thing, which is usually where fallacy comes into play and that's fairly human and should be expected (laughs) so i i don't think that there's any cameras or double mirrors or 
ways for Empire to listen on on Rue and and Seraph's conversation. I don't think that those are things that are happening because anyone afforded the privilege of coming to this place, which they do make a little bit more of a, a big deal about in the book of how many people actually make it to the palace. Once you're here, you're in some type of uh, upper echelon of privilege that you don't, there is not the same, you know, I'll, I'll send the shadow master or, I'll audit your memories. I'll do anything that is more invasive than simplistically having cameras around that kind of feels more outdated to the the technological advances they've accomplished. And then that's another thing where I said in canon, in this scene, it was brought up where Rue doesn't say, oh, were you watching me on your cameras or something to that effect? She says, did you send someone to spy on me? So it doesn't feel as if in this world, that's anything that is uh, on the table. And now we know they have an actual silencer. So I feel far more confident that everyone isn't simply holding the a card up their sleeve with the exception of possibly Demerzel. But even so, I don't feel like this character is infallible either. I think the assumption that she is a robot means that she's superior in every possible way in which a human could ever think or thought to be. But if that's the case, then you wouldn't have lost the war. <laughs> That's one big thing. But secondly, if Westworld taught us anything, robots with emotions can be very tempestuous creatures. Tempestuous. That's the word I was looking for. Demerzel has kept the threads of the Empire together. But like any other thread in this episode, they're becoming undone. And there's only going to be so much one robot can do about that. So I do think there's a little bit of an inflated sense of Demerzel's capabilities or machinations based mainly on probably book knowledge. <laughs> because a lot of those things that would even give you that indication are only in the book and have not been even hinted at in the show and I'm starting to believe now I'm going to do a little book spoiler after uh after the wrap-up and while she certainly has an immense amount of power and has been effectively running this dynasty clearly things have happened that are out of her realm of control and to assume that it was all part of a master plan of her own concoction, maybe grasping at more of what was a different story than what is the story being told. Let's get back on track. I can certainly catch myself up in my own thought process. Rue is busted by Dust, who is intrigued by why she is in Lady Demerzel's room. 
She makes a calculated admission when he wonders how she made her way into the servants or through the servants passageways because that is a guarded state secret. She also shouldn't have the shadow master silencer, which he confiscated very <laughs> smoothly. But she lays her cards on the table and admits that she has all of her memories from before. Even though he was there at her erasure because Cloud Dominion's ability to reverse the erasure allowed her to recall them. At first, Dust is a little betrayed. I thought we could trust one another. And she replies with, no, you thought I trusted you. Why would I offer up state secrets just to impress you? He can't argue with that logic. He really can't. Like, I wouldn't give up my state secrets either. But that makes her a suspect in the assassination attempt against his brother. But Rue says, look, I want the marriage to go forth. And she really means that. I don't think she knows that uh, her queen is not going to marry that man. However, Dust points out that Demerzel is the closest thing we have to family. She says, look, she's a robot. The last in the galaxy as handmaiden to the empire. What is her real purpose? To which Dust can only reply, she will always be here as she has always been. I genuinely felt bad for Dusk in this moment as he's trying to figure out why he trusts Demerzel. And the only thing he can do is repeat the mantra that we saw her eerily incept into his mind. And we will discuss that a little bit in book spoilers because they haven't really touched upon that particular aspect in the show yet. It's almost as if he goes into a loop until he's able to pull himself out of it when he sees the design on Demerzel's tool chest that it looks familiar he's seen it before and that's what leads them to the Muriel we've seen previously where there's the eight planets I'm guessing the one that was furthest in a blue little ball was earth on the Muriel there is that skeletal form we saw earlier as well mechanical skeleton that has a green sash for betrayer which now makes sense dust reveals robots and humans used to live in harmony side by side but what happened was inevitable i'm guessing they they helped them to terraform new worlds get got them the technology they needed to terraform those new worlds but when they asked for this simple thing called acknowledgement of personhood humans well, they be human in and uh, they were cruel to the robots because if they have to acknowledge them as a person, that means they can have their own desires and they're no longer subservient to their masters or these laws. Emperor Benefoss was the first casualty to be taken out by a robot. And while it's not surprising humans fought robots, it is surprising that robots fought robots. Could we see the continuation of two robots with differing agendas? Calais versus Dem? <laughs> Demerzel? All eradicated except for Demerzel, to which Dust replies with the same program response when she wonders, Rue, how that came to be. He knows that his memory has been removed. She points out if they don't know how their trusted advisor came to them, what else might be missing hence why she brings up restoring his memories to remove the cotton from his mind 
my girls came in with divide and conquer mentality and I'm so here for it. Dust notices that the chroma where the green mark is isn't moving, which should be when humans are in proximity. But before they can investigate further, he's recalled to the execution. They intend to broad beam across the galaxy. While he didn't take her up on the offer to restore his memories, something to keep track of. Outside on the days, the crowd shouts Cleon. Definitely what Day's ego desires. He came out with that tacky chainmail armor under his breastplate. Polly and Constant are brought forth and put on their knees. Seraph plays her part by taking his hand, but Dawn already fit in some kind of way. Disgusting. Day announces that when he banished Harry, it was with benevolence, but now they have conspired with the people who destroyed the star bridge a hundred something years ago. So Harry's insolence will be met with the death of his vessels via the collar of Typon, a relic from his ancestors, which is effectively just a collar guillotine. He announces his enclosure of Terminus turning to the camera by his troops and how on this anniversary of the Starbridge disaster, he will send two more to meet the same fate and announces who will die first. He asked the queen to choose, but she is appalled and didn't even get a word out before he said, yeah, let's choose the girl. He wants to reinforce what fate awaits her should she not fall in line. Hence why Constant was chosen first. However, when the collar is placed over her and Polly apologizes, it's Constance prayer that unexpectedly has the impact. And this is why so many people that were pagans turned to Christianity. The Christians in Rome, since he, the showrunner, says that he has uh, taken inspiration from Roman history, they would be martyred in the Colosseums. They would be, what's the terminology I'm looking for? Crucified in the streets by kings. But their devotion and willingness to die for a cause they believed in so embracingly affected the hearts and minds of those around them. So to display this young girl who's absolutely committed <laughs> to her fate and faith, they're going to remember her. She becomes a symbol. In the Outer Reach planet, you can see, one, they're burning the spies' books, which is, ugh, such a travesty. But you notice the guy, he took note. So now you have unwittedly <laughs> done more for Harry's cause in this moment than you would have had you simply shut the fuck up and sat in your throne room. Guide me through the darkness and together we will shorten the darkness. Something both her parents repeat 
And it was. It was starting to get to my emotions just a little bit. Even Seraph and Dawn are moved before Demerzel realizes that something is wrong. She did kind of start to slide towards her own faith. But Horamalo crashed the party. He gives us the great line. Sorry, folks. This beheading is being canceled. Day gave Harry a platform. I'm still bamboozled at how badly he fucked this up. For those thinking it's impossible, now they know it's possible. Demerzel shields Day, but despite his aura being damaged, he demands to be let up only to be met face to face with Becky. You done fucked up now! Why are you running? Why are you running? Holly demands Hobart and Constant leave, which they do, but not before seeing Becky go down. And while she definitely was a good girl, I'm not going to pretend like I got emotionally attached. <laughs> Demerzel and the guards usher the rest of royalty into the palace, which is guarded. We'll be safe here, to which <laughs> Dust replies. Bitch, when these nanobites go kick in, I'm not used to this pain. My bones are frail. Talking about we fucking safe. Dust understands the implications of the actions far more than the bemused and slightly terrified day. Seraph is over there a little surprised too by today's events with Dawn forever changed with the idea of the woman he fell for almost dying due to Day's incompetence and then watches this fight happen between his elders. Dust wants him, as always, to act swiftly and decisively. But Day remembers when Dust told him Harry was a ghost story and a child's fantasy. And now look at us. He's like, well, you want me to... I love what he shuffled over. You you want me to apologize? (laughs) They just declared war. It's like war. There is no war. We can destroy them utterly. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Still incredibly arrogant in the face of inevitability, in my opinion, his goal now is to talk to them and retrieve what he believes belongs to them by going to Terminus himself because he does not fear change. He doesn't want to show fear, so he continues to embrace what he claims he's not afraid of. Demerzel points out by staying here, he will keep the people assured, but he won't do what his brother half done, which is to allow Demerzel to handle everything. This is a person who wants to make his own mark. Truly, his generals should be handling things like this, but no, he wants to go out there and personally see to it that the foundation is afraid because they did the one thing no one has been able to do, which is prick him so this is all about his ego once again if we didn't make that very clear (laughs) he wants to watch their destruction he wants to be the one that gave the command after he strips the place of what he knows now is out there and considers property uh well no he doesn't want it to become proprietary knowledge that's the word i was looking for 
to anyone else in the outer reach planet. Which is why he says, I do not fear change, but Dust called him out. That's a child's fantasy. Don't be a fool. Dawn stuck between wanting to go comfort Seraph and what are you trying to do, sir? Demerzel tries to put her foot down and Seraph comes in with, nah, you go right ahead, boo. Day has spoken on the matter. They don't have any sway under your decisions. And if you want to make a dumb one, I support you. The way she pushed Demerzel ever so casually out of the way to play the role that she's accustomed to playing for Day was a nice twist. Because she gave him exactly what he needed. The ego boost, the support, along with a little sexual reassurance with the kissing to Dawn's dismay. I'm upset. Rue noticed not only Dawn's crawling to Seraph when the explosion happened and cradling her, but his clear annoyance of Rue showing affection to his brother. Rue continues, your realm has been leaking blood and stars for too long. It's time for big hands to bind the wound. And like the hero in a romance novel, he jumps on his steed to do exactly that, telling her, I will look the ghost of Harry Seldon in the eye and reclaiming what is theirs. He pointedly glares at Demerzel, still holding Seraph with, you will have a planet as a wedding gift. This is happening, Demerzel, so if you want it to succeed, I suggest you make this a reality. Disgusted with dust, he slights him by saying, I'm placing Dawn in charge. And he tells Dawn, take care of her. Oh, I will. He leaves now fully back in his confidence element with orders to bring the cleric, prepare his shuttle, as well as the Rubicon. The Rubicon. Why is that familiar to me? Did we, is that what he used to destroy the planets in season one? Rue and Seraph get to her quarters and they have a revealing conversation. The wedding is postponed. It was meant to take place. But Rue sees that Queen Seraph, which I was on the fence about, has genuine feelings for Dawn, which doesn't coincide with vengeful plans. And while wedging oneself between the fragments of the Cleons is useful what they want, as well as turning Dawn against them, fucking him was not in the cards. So this side plot she has going on with the baby is all Seraph's own pet project. And Joyner does not approve of even the concept of her sleeping with Dawn. Imagine if she knew how far the deception is that she plans. Though she does keep tabs on her empress. She's like, I know you saw him down in the heat sinks. I expected Seraph to deny she had any romantic feelings for Dawn, but it seems as if she genuinely does. And Rue loves Dusk. But she says, it doesn't matter for me because I'm not engaged to the emperor. And if he finds out there is more to lose than what you have already lost and to think of her people and to think of her home and cloud dominion. You do have, you do have a, a higher purpose. Even though she says she doesn't fucking care, she does. So she sits down and continues to listen. 
Wife and widow are both called empress. Just kill day. Destroy his backups. And we still get what we need out of the grand scheme of things. So their goals were twofold. Rue wants them to have a more connected, adventurous relationship with Trantor and the Empire. <laughs> Losing my ability to speak. But at the same time, get rid of him when it's time to get our revenge. Now that you know that he put you in this position on purpose. Which leads to my epiphany and theory at the same time. Because as we know, the Roman Empire did not fall completely. No, the western part of the empire fell. The uh, eastern side, also known as the Byzantine Empire, even though they would not have called themselves Byzantines, they would have said we're part of the Roman Empire. So the empire did in fact split into two. My guess is that Rue is no longer interested in this marriage with Day, but she is still interested or maintaining what her and Jorner wants, which is an alliance with Trantor. So she has backdoored her way into getting both things by conceiving a child with Dawn, which would be a legitimate heir to Trantor, but it being raised and brought up under Cloud Dominion as the future leader there too. So essentially, this kid can be heir to two thrones, two very powerful thrones. And that could cause even more of the fracture in the empire going forward. Because I keep thinking, well, how many confrontations are they going to have with the foundation? The first season, there was kind of one. Now we're getting where the empire's here. He has a little bit more of an understanding of the full extent of what Harry is going on about. It can't do it all over again, right? I mean, you can go back and forth, but how long does that... Like, yeah, no, the story takes on different things that are, are a little bit more... Um, of a plot point in the book than anything in the empire it's just falling and in the interim of that you just have different people who who uh fill the power vacuum and i think that she is going to try to fill the power vacuum in the aftermath to challenge trantor for for actual dominance and it could be that the genetic dynasty actually comes out of this, not completely destroyed, but exactly what they wanted, just not in the manner in which he predicted or tried to construct the outcome of. It's dawn instead of day. And he's the genetic dynasty would effectively be split. Dust may join him. Uh, because and Jorna Rue offered to take his memories and then it would just be day. Even though they can just decant another genetic dynasty. But now, I mean, once you put a legitimate heir out of there and other people start to assimilate and say Cloud Dominion decides they want to start trading with the foundation. Oh, it's on and popping. So that's my theory. Because <laughs> it would tie into the history 
And it would be a way for, uh, for a continuation of that plot point being Trantor or the, the, the empire falling so that we could see more Lee Pace. I totally think he's going to be decanted at the end of the season. I mean, it's been a couple of close moves on his part (laughs) that I think that he's, uh, He's definitely heading for a decantation. (laughs) Eating an apple. Oh, that's the end of that conversation ends with. Look, I am listening to you and I trust and value your opinion. Know that. But I am queen and I will make decisions that you may not approve of or understand. To which Rue replies, yes, your grace, because there is love and understanding. But at the end of the day, it's Rue's call or not Rue. It's Seraph's call. Eating an apple, Day continues to pester Polly about his faith in a man he believes he's outsmarting with the threat of a nuclear warhead being the end result of what he intends for Terminus because he mentions as much, right? Like, oh, you can't can't overcome a nuclear warhead. That's why he believes, like, we can destroy them utterly. He's going to clean house of what he wants. He thinks he's very much the uh, devil in the garden trying to tempt the cleric to proactively lose his faith, reject his his uh, reject his lord. But Polly already lost faith once previously and with Constance's help, even though he thinks or she thinks she didn't help him, he actually did regain it. He knows that they dress it up, that there is a bit of a... Uh, <laughs> showmanship to what they do but at the heart of it it is science and you sir are not a scientist don't even know how to read a graph but he gets down to his level it's these little little tiny things that make empire always a conundrum of a person that can kind of go so many ways as we've seen through the couple of versions we've met already and Polly gives him the line violence something the wardens say violence is the last refuge of the incompetent and he says maybe or something to that effect I, I couldn't quite read what he felt in that like how he reacted to that like oh well shit <laughs> violence it is or did he simply not get it because he is a little thick? <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, he he fully doesn't because he thinks because he's got something up his sleeve. Like, yeah, I got a warhead. You can't possibly do anything with that. I'm like, um, I don't know what they was doing in the basement, but I bet you they got a protective kind of system around this planet. From here, things just got spicy. And I'm not talking the Queen Sarah variety, even though she is included in the next couple of scenes. Back on Trantor, using her device that he confiscated, dust creeps up on Rue while she's getting ready for bed. They embarrassed and disrespected him in that throne room. And now... All he has is a desire for the truth. So he wants Rue to accompany him back on their line of inquiry. They go back to the Muriel. Dust points out some people believe age breeds inferiority, but a lifetime of experience amassed is worth more, which is true. 
This does seems as if he's in his maybe late 50s, early 60s. And I know that Cleon the first, I think his lifespan was up into his 90s. So he hasn't quite hit decrepit yet. So he still has a lot in which he can do to make Day's life really unhappy. You know who is happy? Dawn, who meets Sarah in the heat sinks once again, surprised that she came. She tells him that the performance earlier was for Day's benefit. If he continues to see her as possession, he won't see her as a threat or worse, try to kill her. Dawn isn't going to let that happen. While kissing her, he tells her a child between them is something Day cannot take. So he decides to reverse the sterilization before they get down to business. She did ask if he was sure, which means he's not a pawn. He fully understands exactly what Seraph is after <laughs> and why she's after it, even though I do think that she has no intention of going through with the marriage today. She at least gives him the the choice, really. Even if it is a cloudy one. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dust considers it off that he feels like a stranger inside his own home having discovered a stairwell no one else has likely ever seen after lovemaking seraph and dawn can't enjoy their time together lest they're discovered but dawn once the act has happened no longer likes the idea of day raising his child i don't know how he thought he was going to be okay with that in the first place <laughs> She suggests that maybe he will just die going off to Terminus and he's in charge. So there's that. But he points out that they'll just decan another one. So let's kill that guy and the exponents. But Don still sees them as his brothers. Even if he got the ruthlessness to actually commit the act, Demerzel is programmed to protect the genetic clones so she asks, well, who programmed Demerzel? Which is a great question. Day declares to Demerzel on his ship that Terminus is his destiny as Dawn and Dust both grow more suspicious of exactly who Demerzel's true master is. Dawn assumed they were autonomous, pure extensions, but with the genetic drift, it's clear Demerzel serves only one Cleon, and that is the empire in which he has tasked her to maintain, is my guess. Dawn believes Dusk is right. It's not safe for none of them. With Seraph even pointing out they may be vulnerable because it's clear they are all puppets. In the stairwell, Cleon the first appears and welcomes Cleon the 16th by name, telling him this place was many things, but firstly a prison. He said, for who? I'm guessing the captured robot. This scene is juxtaposed with Day preparing for the jump and him asking Demerzel, often wonder what you see when we're sleeping what thoughts haunt you which leads us very nicely into what is likely Demerzel's backstory as we look into the eyes of Cleon the first 
because he has made himself a forever empress in Dimrazel, hence the title, The Last Empress. And that concludes our episode. I do have some ideas, not based on any book spoilers, of what this backstory may contain. I think Dimrazel was captured in the Robot Wars, was probably one of the bots that fought against the killer bots, which I think is important because she mentioned how we were governed by laws, now I'm governed by one. And one would argue if you were one of those autonomous robots, you're like, well, I govern myself. Cleon's dynasty probably captured her or his parents and imprisoned her. And then she grew to know and likely fell in love with Cleon the first changing who changed her drive or the parents changed their drive. Someone changed her drive to now only protect the empire that he built confirming that the clones are only extensions of really her power, but them having the full authority to wield it as long as it's within furthering or maintaining the empire. Which kind of makes me think that this marriage definitely had Demerzel's stamp of approval. Even though he told Seraph, but that could be something he plans to keep from Seraph. Or not from Seraph, from Demerzel. Because I didn't make that shit up. We all heard him say, I'm going to destroy all this shit. But how much she's aware of that being the future. <laughs> Uh, who knows Cleon though from just how dust and granted we had a whole entire generational lineage of people told the story by the one that lost (laughs) but I do feel because even in the flashback it felt as if Cleon the first was very much on the side of the robots. So it would make sense that she would be beholden to someone who saw her as a person, someone she felt uh, valued her, someone she fell in love with, and then they died and then he tasked her with his legacy. And in maintaining that legacy though, I think she found herself in a prison where the person that she knew no longer became the person that she knew. And now she doesn't, by the time she meets Zephyr Halima, because once again, the Empire is the oppressors in this story. They're the villains. Um, she hasn't been able to escape that. Now, I think the biggest question we all continue to ask is, has she taken any steps to actively sabotage the empire i'm going to put it out there and say no i think that there's more to it than has been um discussed (laughs) i don't know what that other side could be but i think that'll be a good place to lead into some spoilers so if you do not want to hear these spoilers it has been real if you want to send feedback for our next episode blackgirlcouch at gmail.com or leave a comment below 
my social media will be there as well like share subscribe and i will talk to you sometime next week spoilers 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 so here's the bee in my bonnet i don't think that in the show version demerzel actually knows anything about cycle history there is a spoilery shot out there of demerzel in the room uh, with all of the clones looking at psycho history only way i can see her getting her hands on that is if she somehow grabs it from the vault when they're on terminus there's also another spoilery scene from the trailers where we see that he's in that office and i do mean cleon and that he's throwing things off of harry's desk and harry and him are having a conversation harry and the prophet so i think that she steals the steals the psycho history thing or the psycho history thing <laughs> She steals the prime radiant and looks into it. And I think it's at that moment that she may begin doing something with the, or actively trying to change her directive. I don't know. I really cannot say, but I, I, I'm not convinced that she and Harry colluded to make psycho history the way they have it in the books and that she's just been biding her time acting in small ways none of that feels like it's being translated over to her origin story in this she feels as if she's just a robot that got caught up in the wars and then became part of the empire and has been keeping it and i asked this question before i wondered if calais was going to transition into that particular character because it does you know it's more in line with the demerzel from the books right we also know that demerzel leaves like harry takes over her position as uh, the closest advisor to the empire and then she's just she goes and she doesn't show up for like at least I don't know when she shows up. Someone else says she does show back up in the books, but they didn't tell me which book. So right now I'm currently reading Foundation. She ain't in that one. <laughs> At least that I've seen yet. Um, and I kind of got the impression she's not going to be in the next couple of ones. Could be wrong about that. They could be playing me. But I do know that there were two robot characters. One being Doris Vernabli that fell in love with a human. And the other being Demerzel, who had more of an altruistic, I'm trying to save humanity uh, type of stick. So it feels like a remix. Because she can't at once defend the Empire, but actively do anything to destroy it. She would have to be either destroyed herself. They also brought up that she has a backup somewhere else. I've kind of put it out there that she also may be Calais because they can change their face. So can she be two places at one time? 
Um, but then, the, but I felt like no, because in the books, they kind of made that very explicit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Could she be conspiring? Cause she says not to her knowledge. I don't think she lied when she said she didn't know any other robots. I don't. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest if any spoiler people want to just like for the books where you think this is particularly going uh because yeah harry's origin origin story in this is very much <laughs> one of his him and his wife and then one of revenge against the empire gail's clearly taken the place of his daughter uh they don't seem to want to do anything else with the whole Raish's other daughter and his wife going off somewhere, but his daughter was a metallic Harry's daughter, right? I could be misremembering. I'm pretty sure, yeah, she was a metallic. So all of that lines up with the whole Gale of it all. Sour's kind of like the other, I'm not sure what they're going to quite do with her. But there's not been a mention either of how how Demerzel has additional powers to play with people's emotions to get them to do what she wants them to do, but she puts a limit of, on herself. None of that's been introduced in the show. And yet they clearly had us uh, look at a scene where that's exactly where it felt she was doing. She was incepting an idea in his mind. Granted, it could just be the memory wipe, but it could also possibly be that she's using this power. I wonder if they'll introduce that at all, or if that's just a little bit too much. This is one thing, the Asimov robots are pretty OP. There's some talk of her being, you know, the one that wants to just rule the empire for herself. I don't think that's an idea at all. <laughs> one, because being the head of something does not mean you're the most powerful in the universe. And I think she could have taken that spot at any time in history that she wanted to. I just wonder if she's going to, or how she's going to continue to be a part of the show, if she's going to be a part of the show. Because she kind of falls off at the fall of the Empire, but the Empire is, we're going to watch it unfold in those stages, which means that Demerzo has to be at the Empire's side. Which ties into my theory that Empire is the legacy. If Empire is the legacy, that means she's more of a wild card between the Cleons because she can choose which, which Cleon is going to be continuing on the dynasty. Maybe that will be her further storyline if my prediction plays out and she will actually end up realizing that the Empire is indeed going to fall. Everything she's ever built for is going to be for nothing and now she has to find a way to salvage that and that's how we get i.e the byzantine empire surviving the collapse and that becomes her her new directive because i just can't see her playing the exact same role she played in the books it's very limited spoilers but i needed to get that out was bothering me <laughs> so once again if you want to send feedback you know what to do until next time peace hair grease black or magic